I'd like to talk about the grace of giving this morning, and um, I'm not ashamed to talk about money. I think um, as I was preparing this week, I went through the Gospels again and just had a look at how many scriptures talk about money. And if you go and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find there are hundreds of scriptures that talk about money. It was a big issue for Jesus. It was a big issue in terms of uh, how we spend money, what we value, and what we give our priority to in terms of our money. It was a big issue for Jesus and the heart with which we give. And I think sometimes in the church, ministers feel under pressure, pastors feel under pressure not to speak about money. I get a salary like everybody one of you gets. That My salary is not decided by me. My salary is decided by the trustees, and uh, it's reviewed every year. I effectively do not earn any more money than I did 10 years ago when I started this church. So I want you to know, I'm not doing this to get rich, all right? There are other ways of getting rich, okay? This is not one of them. And so, just to let you know, we're not trying to, not trying to get rich out of the church, all right? I think also, unfortunately, there's a, there's a kind of inheritance from television and, and um, America, unfortunately, of how churches do finances, and there's always, you know, you'd switch on the God channel, there's always some preacher asking you for money, right? So I'm aware of these things. But I, I want to talk to you about the grace of giving, because I think it is, giving comes out of understanding the grace of God in your life. And I want to thank everyone in this church, and as I look around this building, and, um, you know, this building was, was uh, financed by a lot of people that are not even in this church anymore. Isn't that an amazing thought that people have gone before us? Some of, you, some of you have been around for the last 12 years. Some of you have joined more recently than that. But basically this was financed by people, many of whom are not in the church anymore. I think that's an amazing thing of sacrificial giving. And uh, I want to say this, th- this is not, was not the, the end goal. This building was always a tool for a task and the task that God has given us is to preach the gospel. This is just a tool to do that. This, is not the, this was not ever intended as the end point, all right? This is really the starting point to preach the gospel, to have a, a base from which we can preach the gospel into the community and into the nation. And so I want to thank you, every single one of you that has co- uh, contributed in any way this year. Uh, and I mean by that the, 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 the people that just serve coffee, the people that serve in the worship teams, the people in Planet Shakers and Fuse, who just tirelessly get on and help our kids. Every one of you uh, that served anyway, I really want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of all of the leaders um, in the church. And um, I want to talk out of that about stewarding our finances this morning. And I want to underpin all my comments by two simple little things. And I trust you believe these things with all of your heart. The first is, God is good. Okay? God is good. I want you to know that. Uh, I'm sure you do. Psalm 118 verse 1 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. And uh, I want to make some uh, quotes, Martin Luther. I read this thing this week, uh, Martin Luther just commenting on these verses, and I found it very, very encouraging. He said this. He said, don't skim over these words. God is good. Don't say them too quickly or irreverently in church. In other words, don't just mouth them off. Oh, God is good. Don't just mouth them off. God is good. Much better than any human. God, from the very bottom of his heart, is inclined to help people 
and continually do what is good. He doesn't like to get angry. He doesn't like to punish people. He, do, he does so only when it's necessary, when he's forced into it by a person's wickedness or stubbornness of heart. People could never be as patient as God is. They would punish a 100,000 times sooner and more severely than God does. Isn't that true? If we could get our way, <laughs> we would punish people more severely than God does. God proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is good and He is loving. His daily and continual goodness shows this in rich and powerful ways. The psalm says, His love endures forever. In other words, He continually does what is best for us. I want to encourage you, do you believe that about your life? That God continually does what is best for you? Continually does what is best for your family? Even when we're going through hard times, all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Yes? He provides for our bodies, our souls, and protects us day and night. He continues to preserve our lives. He lets the sun and the moon shine for us and allows the sky, fire, and air and water to serve us. The Lord causes the earth to give us everything we need. Grain, food, cattle, wood, the resources for making wine and clothes. That's the difference between John Calvin and Martin Luther. Martin Luther would talk about making wine. John Calvin would never talk about making wine. <laughs> Just a joke, but it's true. He gives us gold, he gives us silver, homes and families, spouses, children, animals, birds, fish. Who can count the Lord's blessing? God is good to us. And I want to just encourage you, if you are able to change your clothes every day, if you were able to drive here, if you were able to cycle here on your bike like Mike did this morning, you are in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. God is good. <laughs> God is good to us. He has blessed us in an amazing way. All right, so that's the first thing I want to say. God is good. Secondly, I want to talk to you about God's grace, God's saving grace. I, I came across this verse. Genesis 6 verse 8 says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. Doesn't that uh, interest you that the Bible uses that phrase? He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, another favorite writer of mine is Tozer, A.W. Tozer. He says this, Grace is the goodness of God confronting our human demerit. Grace is what God is, unchanging, infinite, eternal. This throws light on God's dealings with men and women throughout the Old Testament and history. It is certainly the truth and a proper concept for us to hold to that no one was ever saved and no one is now saved and no one will ever be saved except by the grace of God. Aren't you glad about that? Before Moses came with the law, men were saved only by grace. During the time of Moses, no one is saved except by grace. After Moses, before the cross, after the cross, and every other dispensation, anywhere, anytime, no one has ever been saved apart by anything but the grace of God. So, we can have that assurance that you are saved by grace, I am saved by grace, and everything in all of history is pointed towards the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, and that's why we can confidently say that none of us have been saved by anything else except by the grace of God, and God is gracious towards us all the time. And when we activate that by faith, the Bible uses this expression that we are born again, we are saved. When we recognize that the cross and all that Jesus has done on the cross, we are born again. And that changes everything. 
<laughs> the grace of God changes absolutely everything. And it includes our value system. It includes how we live. It includes how we see the world. It includes how we see ourselves. It includes how we see our possessions. It includes how we see money. It includes how we see spending money. Grace changes everything. And one of the best examples I can think of, of someone being radically changed by the gospel, is a simple little story out of the Bible about a man called Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? He was a mean man. He loved money. He was a tax collector. He specialized in ripping people off. It was his speciality. That's what he did best of all, was rip people off and get more taxes out of them than he ought to have got out of them. And what happens? You know the story. He wants to see Jesus one day. Jesus calls him, says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I want to, I want to come to your house for tea or lunch or whatever, dinner. And he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus meets Jesus, is confronted with the gospel. He's set free. He's transformed. And what is the first thing that he does? Can you remember? He says, I will go and repay everybody that I've ripped off. And I will choose I will use fair rules from now on. And what does Jesus say? He says, this day the kingdom has come to this man's house. When, when you meet Jesus, everything transforms. It transforms a mean, stingy, ungenerous man, transforms him into a generous man who wants to live for others and give away his wealth. And so I basically want to just follow on from what Curtis has already said, that for me, generosity is the real issue about biblical giving. It's about generosity. It's about unselfishness. It's about living your life for other people. And uh, C.S. Lewis said this, one of my favorite writers, there ought to be things that we should not, that we should like to do and cannot do. There ought to be things that we would like to do and cannot do because of our charitable expenditure. And I'd like to say it should be because of our kingdom expenditure. There should be. If we are living sacrificially, there should be things that we would like to do that we choose not to do because we want to give to the kingdom. And what does that mean practically? It means practically that perhaps, perhaps we will never drive a Mercedes-Benz luxury car because we choose to drive a smaller car so we can give more away. It might mean that we choose not to buy the biggest house that we could afford. We might choose to live in a smaller house, knowing that it will have an impact and change our family, and our family might not have as much room, but so we can give more to the kingdom. You hear what I'm saying? It might mean that we choose not to have takeaway every week. Maybe a couple of times a month. So what we spend on takeaway, we can give to the Kingdom depends on how we are living and what we are valuing to give ourselves to. Generosity is the issue. And I want to just say to you, it's a battle that every one of us as Christians has to win. It's a battle that goes on our hearts all the time. It's about, do I live for myself? Do I just live for my family? Or will I let God use me to live for others and to do something for the kingdom? And that's a choice that all of us have to make. It's a, it's a battle that rages in our hearts all the time. And we have to overcome it all the time. Because we all tend towards being selfish. We all tend, oh God, that new iPad. I really, I really need that iPad, Lord. Uh, it might be different for you. I don't know what your thing is. Uh, I, I would love to get a new iPad. <laughs> it's one of the nice little technical things. 
So it's a very practical issue. You hear what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm not, and I, please, I'm not trying to put anything on anybody. But there's two, 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 two uh, scriptures I'd like to illustrate my point, and they really come to the heart of it quickly. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 says this, and you know this well. A ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is a good except God alone. You know the commandments. You know what to do. Don't commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the guy says, All these things I've done since my youth. And Jesus says, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. <laughs> and Jesus, seeing that he'd become very sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You see, there was a hard thing that needed to change with the rich wealthy ruler, isn't it? It wasn't the fact that he was wealthy, it was the fact that he was clinging on to his wealth and it wasn't open-handed in, his, in how he dealt with his wealth. And then, secondly, Luke 21, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than any of them. For they all contributed out of the abundance, and she, out of her poverty, she put in all that she had. Isn't that the issue? Kingdom giving is not about how rich you are. It's not about how poor you are. It's about how generous you are with what you have. That's what kingdom giving is about. Biblical giving is about unselfishness. And I want to say, secondly or thirdly, whatever it is, um, for me, biblical giving is about understanding the grace of God. It's about understanding the grace of God. And, you know, Abraham and Jacob, great Old Testament figures, both of them gave generously before the law was given by Moses. They gave 10% of all that they had. And so I've got 10 Kit Kats here to illustrate my point. If I can just get them out of this bag. Ten. Oh, this one's already peeled. Two. Three. I can't count. Four. Can you see them? Ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's ten. Kit Kats. And so basically the, the Old Testament teaches that the first Kit Kat belongs to God. That's his Kit Kat, all right? <laughs> he says, this is mine, it's, it's the first fruits of, of your labor, and you give this to me. And so God says, I'm taking that Kit Kat, please give that to me, all right? And he says, you can have the other nine Kit Kats, all right? You can have them. And it's up to you to what you do with these nine Kit Kats. You can have a Kit Kat. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit you on the head. But you can have the Kit Kat, all right? Every one of you can have a Kit Kat. In fact, you don't just get one, you get nine Kit Kats to look after and to um, enjoy and to steward and to do whatever you want with the Kit Kat, all right? That's what God says. He says, I, I have one Kit Kat. 
You have nine. You wanted a Kit Kat. Yeah, you can enjoy your Kit Kat now if you'd like. So my question to you is this. We believe that we are under the grace of God. Is that right? We believe that Jesus came to completely fulfill the law and that the law is completely fulfilled in Jesus. So basically, the Old Testament law of giving a tithe is fulfilled in Jesus. What does that mean? How does that affect our giving? How do we understand giving and the grace of God? How do we understand? What, is, what does this thing mean? Do, do we still give a tenth? Don't we give a tenth? How do we walk by the Spirit concerning our money? Well, I want to say this to you. One of the great joys about the gospel is that it sets us free from fear and it sets us free from compulsion and that, that it affects every area of our lives. Free from fear and free from compulsion. I want to say that I believe the, the New Testament teaches giving. It teaches giving and I believe we need to talk about generous giving, not just tithing. That's why we want to say we're going to take up a, a giving offering later because strictly speaking, we are no longer under the law. The law is fulfilled in Jesus, completely fulfilled in Jesus. We have died to the law. In the, in the Old Testament, the tithe had to do with agriculture. It had to do with goods. And once a year, they collected the tithe and they took it to Jerusalem. We don't go to Jerusalem anymore. We don't have animals. How many of you have sacrificed a bull recently? Anyone? Or sheep, or goats. No, none of us have. We're not under the law anymore, all right? So it seems a little bit eccentric to try and put Christians that are freed by the grace of God back under law and saying the tithe is what you must give. It seems a little bit strange. It seems a little bit eccentric if we really understand what the gospel is saying and what the grace of God is saying. If, however, and here's my but, here is my, my um, provisor, If by that you understand that I'm saying under grace you don't give and I don't give and that we give less than a tithe, I'm I'm saying to you, you do not understand fully what I'm saying about the grace of God. Because that's not what I'm saying. Are you with me? Why do I say that? Because under... The gospel compels us forward. The gospel doesn't compel us backwards. Jesus said this, It has been written... You shall not commit adultery. Grace calls us higher. It doesn't say just not to commit adultery. It says, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. It takes grace, takes it up to here. Jesus said, it's written, do not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with someone in your heart, it's like you've murdered them already. All right? So what I'm saying to you, when we give, grace calls us, past just one-tenth to generosity. That's what grace calls us to. Grace calls us to something much higher than just giving one-tenth. It calls us to a whole new level of generosity. And so there's this forward movement, not a backward movement. And as we walk by the Spirit, I believe God calls us to give, as we are able, extraordinarily generously above just the basic minimum. Are you with me? So do we tithe under the law? No, strictly speaking, we don't tithe under the law. We super tithe. We are super givers. And I use that as a a prefix. What is a superstructure? It's a structure that is 
big, it's beyond, it's above, it's more than. And that's the way that I believe the New Testament uses that, that uh, word. To a greater degree, larger, higher. The basic level is settled, but we give beyond that as God enables us. And I believe God wants to call us to extraordinary acts of generosity expressed in every area of our lives. Every area of our lives. And so I want to talk to you then, having set that as a basis in the next 15 minutes, about the other nine, about the other nine Kit Kats. How do we steward the other nine Kit Kats in our lives? If the first tenth is God's at least, and we give above and beyond that, how do we steward the other nine? Well, I want to give you a couple of very practical things that I think all of us need to deal with. The first is this, dealing with fear about money. Dealing with fear about money. I think this is a major, major, major issue for all of us to deal with. You know, the world churns out bad news. The economy is failing. Uh, the, the Eurozone is going under. It's just an endless kind of business is going to go down. All this kind of stuff that we just hear all, all the time. I want to just say this to you lovingly, and I say to myself, that God is your provider. God is your salary. God, God is the one who, gi- who gives you the ability to create wealth in the first place. That's what the scripture says. And so unless that's a settled issue in your heart and in my heart, we will always respond when it comes to money. We will always respond out of fear, never with faith. And I want to say, nothing good comes from fear. God responds to faith. He doesn't respond to fear. And so we are never over- we're never going to overcome fear in our lives by withholding and holding on to what we have That's never going to make us generous people. So I want to encourage you with the scripture that Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 12. Listen, listen, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, to his called out ones, the ones that were following him. He said this, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will eat. Don't be anxious about your body or what you will put on. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They see, neither sow nor reap. They, have, they don't have a storehouse or a barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add even a single hour to your life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, Why be anxious about the rest? Consider the flowers, the lilies. See how they grow. They neither toil, they don't spin. That I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he not clothe you? How much more will he not clothe you? And don't seek what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. Don't be worried. The nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows what you need. Can I say that over you? Your Father knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, and a treasure in heaven that does not fail where the thief cannot approach and the moth cannot destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I can't say it any better. Jesus would come to all of us and say, do not worry, do not fear, I 
am your provision. And either we believe it by faith and we live without fear, or we continually live with fear, thinking we're never going to have enough. How do we overcome a spirit of fear? Well, we overcome a spirit of fear by learning to be generous. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says this, Keep yourselves and your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. We always want more. Isn't that true? We always want more. When I say to you that you're in the top 6%, 5% of the world, if you can change your clothes every day, you know what most of us do? We compare ourselves to the 5% that are still above us. We don't compare ourselves to the 95% that are unfortunate not to be able to do that. Isn't that true? Let's be content with what we have. And so my question would be to all of us this morning, is money our master or is money our servant? Is money our master or is money our servant? Um, Luke 16 verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, nor will he be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, the law of God and the, uh, and the, and the, 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 and the law. The Pharisees, listen to this, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard these things and they ridiculed him. I felt God say to me this morning, uh, not this morning, this week, as I was preparing, the religious spirit, like the Pharisees, were religious. They were, they, they were the, the, the religious order of the day. Those that are religious, they don't like generosity. Don't like to be generous. Religious people don't like to be generous. They just want to do the bare minimum. Just tell me what I need to do. And I believe God wants to break a religious spirit over all of us, that we live generous lives. We don't just do the minimum, we do what God has much more, that we can bless other people. So let's not be religious about giving. Let's not be legalistic about giving. Let's do it with a generous heart. And so some practical issues to finish. The first thing I want to encourage you with is this. Let's do all that we can this year as a church community to get out of debt. Can I say that again? Let's get out of debt. It's the biggest problem that's facing this nation right now. And I'm asking you, if you've got credit card debt, you know what gets us into credit card debt? There's only a couple of things. One, irresponsible living, that we live above our means. Two, great catastrophes can get you into debt. So, for example, your car blows up and it's a complete write-off and you have to buy another car and you have to go into debt for that. Right? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying this. If we've got into debt because we have lived beyond our means, it's going to take hard work and discipline to get out of debt. God's not going to do it for you, alright? You're going to have to do it for yourself. And Quimbus has already said, we would like to offer the CAP course in the second half of this year to the church community. Uh, there's a number of people that have done the CAP course, and it's trying to encourage you how to budget. And can I have five people, please, just to quickly stand here? Come on, darling, you're the first one. Five people. So one, two, three, four, five. That's not, no trick. It's, you can relax. Okay, I'm just going to call you names, that's all, all right? Okay, so I'll start with Helen. Helen is, because she's my wife, I can say this. She's really rubbish, all right? Helen is really rubbish. This is um, poor. This is 
Mr. Average, this is very good, and this is absolutely outstanding, all right? So that's five degrees to which with we, we can all budget. We can be really rubbish at budgeting, or we can be absolutely excellent. I read this uh, last couple of weeks that there's a guy who started a webpage five years ago called MoneySavingExpert.com. Have you heard of that webpage? Yeah? He's just sold it for 87 million pounds. Started it five years ago. He's really, really good at this stuff, the guy who did that. All right? Most of us are not really good like that. Most of us are somewhere between really rubbish or quite good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so I'm trying to encourage you that when we do this course, whatever your scale, if you're really rubbish, poor, average, not bad, or excellent at budgeting, I want to encourage you to do this course so that you move, if you're really rubbish, you just move one step to being not so bad. All right? And then if you're not so bad, you move one more step to being quite good. Average. Average, <laughs> okay. Average quite good, and then excellent. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. You hear what I'm saying? So uh, this course that we're doing, is not, it's for everybody to get better at budgeting and to get out of debt, because for me, that is the biggest problem that we face in this nation right now. And we, we, all, we all are concerned about... Um, Bankers' greed and all that kind of stuff. Well, we all got ourselves into this mess by spending too much, by spending what we didn't have. Okay, it's going to take hard work to get out of it, all right? And I want to say, it's going to be a wrestle for us to get out of it. It only comes by discipline and hard work and valuing things in a different way, okay? I can't say it, I can't put a lolly, you know, I can't put it in chocolate because it's, 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 it's not chocolate coatable. It's just true. It's just the way it is. Life is what it is, all right? The other thing I, I want to I ask uh, is, is this. The other thing that can get you into debt is that you're not paid enough. You simply do not just get your salary. doesn't cover your expenses. I read this this week that the Roundtree Foundation said that the average family of four in the UK right now needs 37,500 pounds, the average family. Two people working, two kids, 37,500 pounds to cover costs. It's probably a little bit more in London. So uh, the other thing I want to say we want to stand with you this year is that if you are working in a job that is not paying you enough, we want to stand with you and pray with you so that you get a job that pays you enough. Yes? What's that going to take? It's going to take you coming to say, please pray with me. I need a better job. I'm improving my qualifications. I'm doing whatever I can, but I need God to break something open for me. We want to do that. You with me? So, practically, the cap course, the other thing I want to say, this thing of generosity, doesn't just extend to, um, to finances. I, I think what we'd love to see also is generosity in our marriages. In generosity and how we parent our children. So we're going to run in the second half of the year. We're going to run a marriage course. We're going to run a parenting course. So we can express something of the grace and generosity of God expressed in all areas of our lives, just not in finances. All right? Are you with me? What I'm trying to say is this. We would love to see this church community out of debt, not so that you can go and buy more handbags and greater accessories. <laughs> No, you've got enough handbags, all right? Guys, we've got enough clothes. It's great. I mean, you all look beautiful every week. You, you don't need any more clothes, all right? I promise you, you don't. <laughs> all 
I know girls, we like to buy clothes. And can I just say this? Careful you don't start buying things. Retail therapy is a real thing. When you're feeling bad about yourself, don't go to the shops. Don't buy stuff. You will regret it. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, you do. Don't go and satisfy an emotional thing by buying stuff. It's a trap. It's the devil's plan for your life. It's not God's plan. If you're feeling bad about yourself, go to your wife and say, my darling, please encourage me. I'm feeling really terrible about myself. I don't want to go and buy something right now. Please help me. Or wives, when you're feeling terrible about yourself, go to your hubby and say, please pray with me. Can we go and have a cup of coffee? Let's encourage you because I'm feeling really terrible about myself and I don't want to go and buy stuff because I don't want to get into debt. Can we commit as a community to helping each other and encouraging others so we don't get needlessly into debt? I can see this is going to be a, this is going to be a message that's really downloaded on the podcast. It's going to be... Everyone's going to want to listen to this. And then I want to encourage you, just in terms of this local church community, as you can see from the numbers, the present reality is that the minority of this church carries the majority of the financial responsibility. The minority of the church carries the majority. If the church is going to be all that it can be, if the church is going to be the fullness of what God has for it, that's going to have to be turned on its head. The majority is going to have to start carrying the minority. All right? Now, I can't compel anyone to do that. All I can say is that I believe the first person we honor is God. So I want to encourage you, if you're not a giver, I want to encourage you to start giving. I want to encourage you in whatever you can give to start sowing somewhere in your life. Give generously. Don't just, don't say, well, I'm just going to give a little. Give as much as you can out of a generosity as God has given to you. Also, help, help yourself get out of debt. And I want to ask that if you are in debt, that you would come and speak, that people can help you. It's a, it's a big problem for a lot of people, and, and all it takes is saying, look, I'm sorry, I messed up, please help me. That's all it takes. Let's make a start towards that, okay? And I'm calling you to an ongoing partnership with this church, which obviously includes a financial partnership. Uh, there's so many things we want to do. We don't want to lay off staff. We actually want to be employing more people. You know, I want to just say this to you. It's not good for me. uh, I don't think it's good. I said this to the other leaders this week. I don't think it's good that, it's not good for you, that I lead worship two or three times a a, a month, and that I preach three times a month. I don't think it's good for you. We need other people to lead worship. We need other people to preach. These people have to be trained and equipped. I would love a full-time worship leader. I would love someone who can just take the worship and train musicians and do that and take it to a whole new level that I can't take it or Becky can't take it. Are you with, are you with me? The, 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 the kids' ministry could go to a whole new other level with a, with a, a, a full-time children's worker. Costs money. We need more pastors, not less pastors. We need more pastors so that people can be cared for and prayed for and looked after. I want to say to you, for me and Mike to look after 200 people, it's impossible. You can't do it, really. <laughs> we can do it to a measure. I can perhaps come and see you once 
a year, twice a year for coffee, and I might get through the whole church, work it out, 365 days in a year. If I saw every one of you once, twice a year, that's 400, 400 days. You hear what I'm saying? We need more people, not less. And that's only going to come as we see this church grow. And so I want to encourage you for the second half of the year that we are outward focused, that we are wanting to see people saved, that we're doing all that we can to let people know that we are here, that we are doing stuff in St. Albans that is saying, Forest Town Church is on the small fit estate and we're doing all that we can to reach you. Okay, that didn't, that didn't go down well. I did my best. Did you see, I practiced that in the mirror as well. Yeah? We've got to do it. We've got to be much more outward look at active, focused. And there are other things that we would love to support as a church. 267, STEP, Michael Eaton, his ministry, Slovenia, other people that are going out on missions. We want to be able to sow into that stuff. We can only sow with what we have. In addition to that, we would want to see that there's none needy in this church. That's what the book of Acts says. Amongst them, there was no one in need. We would love for that to be the testimony of this church, that there's no one in need. So, I've done my best to encourage you in terms of generous giving, trusting God, getting out of debt. These are the basic, basic issues. Um, Lastly, Matthew chapter 6 just says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, because you will have your reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you do so, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they might be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have already received their reward. But when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen. That's, that's how biblical giving works. It's not boasted about, it's not a big fanfare. We just get on and do what God has for us to do. We bless others, we give, we're generous, and God does an amazing thing in the community. Amen? Do you want to say something? Yeah? Okay. I wanted to just um, also just give time. Perhaps there's some, some of you have got financial testimonies of how God has, God has really helped you this year. If you have, why don't you come and tell us? It'll encourage people who are still trusting for breakthrough. But let Helen share what she wants to share as well. Um, I've just, over the last uh, year and a half, I've just been tutoring um, in the afternoons, giving extra lessons to students. And it's been very interesting because I get paid in cash. And, uh, and it's, when you've got to work out, you've got to take off um, a fifth um, for tax and then for, I, I give a 10% from that for a tithe. But it's very interesting when you've got cash, you can sometimes think, oh, I need this and this this month. I can just take this cash. And who would know if I've paid that tax or if I've given something? And, you know, it's just been in a, a wonderful thing for me because it's like I've, I felt this word, there's some non-negotiables in my life. Um, and tax and tithe, um, I'm just using the word tithe, but they're, 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 they're a non-negotiable for me. It's not, I don't even budget on the maybe if I didn't, if I didn't take off the tax and tithe. And I was kind of reminded of that thing of um, Jesus when they came to him to try and trick him and they said, um, who should, should we pay taxes to Caesar? 
And Jesus said, whose head is on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said this very wise thing. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And I think what, what Jesus was actually saying there is there's some things, he, he, he challenged the whole thing about just being, settling that those things are a given, that you give to Caesar and you give to God. Um, it wasn't like, which it's either or, or. Um, they, they were just non-negotiables and I don't know, that's been something I found a very helpful thing in me with my giving and my budgeting. For me, I've settled. Some things are just not negotiable. Anyone else have a testimony of a provision of God this year that you want to share or any, anything that God's blessed you with before we break bread? No? Okay. Are you encouraged? I trust you are because, um, you know, we really do need to encourage each other. The world is already discouraging enough. <laughs> so we need to stand with each other and encourage each other in these basic ways. And I really trust that you take it to heart that in the second half of the year, we really can do all that we can to encourage each other in this forward momentum and that we help each other to stay out of debt and to get out of debt so we can be generous in the kingdom. Amen.